0: Eric, we have been waiting for a couple of weeks for someone to respond to our weird ads, and finally, uh, we get to have a very special guest with us today. And before I introduce them, I want to ask you a very special question What were you like in high school?
1: Okay, you were supposed to set up that I can't talk very good right now. So already we're off to a great start. I'm sorry, listeners. What was I like in high school? Let me answer your question with a plug. If you want to know what I was like in high school, dear listeners, you can listen to this week's episode of the Mortified Podcast on Radiotopia, uh, in which is shared a letter I wrote to the Chicago Tribune when I was 14 years old after they wrote a 20-point takedown of The Phantom Menace. And I decided that Star Wars was too important to my identity to to let this stand. And so I wrote a 20-point rebuttal. And then I performed it at Lincoln Hall in December because I have no shame. And uh, it's on the Mortified podcast. So I, I said this on Twitter, but it's so funny because... This is obviously the podcast I care most about that I do. Sorry, Mortified. But it's so funny to me that after nine years of doing podcasting, the thing more people will hear of me than anything else is some bullshit about Star Wars I wrote when I was 14.
0: To be fair, it may be the most important thing you've ever written. Because <laughs> at that point in history, nobody was defending Jar Jar Banks except for you.
1: <laughs> well, and now Jar Jar has lost even me. <laughs> really? Yeah. I don't think Phantom Menace is good.
0: Uh, I mean, I don't think it's good, but unfortunately, Padme is my favorite Star Wars character. So high school, Lauren probably would have read that and been like, who is this? I have to meet them. And
1: then we would have done a podcast, but in 1999, which I think might have been a Zenga. I don't even know. It would have been, like, an article in the school newspaper.
0: Right. I don't even know. Like, that's so early. We couldn't even say, like, a MySpace. There was not an accessible internet to people our age. Yeah. (laughs) Good heavens. The
1: thing about that interview, though, I actually... So if you listen to the Mortified podcast, it's the live performance cut with an interview I did with the producers of the show. And I kept... The producers didn't put in any of the smart things that present-day Eric had to say because I think they're like, you're a big dork, which, like, yeah, I am, but this is what we do on this show every week. And I was trying to say that, like, the reason I defended Star Wars so vociferously is because it felt like a personal attack because when someone criticizes something you love – Uh, you feel like you they're saying you're less than when you're an insecure teenager. And that was me all over. I was so insecure that like, yeah, when someone said Jar Jar being sucked, I heard it as like, you suck. And I'm like, no, I don't suck.
0: I can really relate to that in that I'm not sure I told this story on this podcast or not, but I met my best friend on the first day of high school. Hello, Susan, if you're listening. And I met her because we were in a class Uh, My last name at the time, alphabetically, came right before hers. And we had to get up in front of the class and say something about ourselves. And I, uh, at the time, liking anime felt like this huge, important part of my identity. And I got up and I was like, I was bullied in middle school for what I liked. And I was a nerd and I was in hiding. And I'm not going to hide my fandoms anymore. My name is Lauren and I like Sailor Moon. And then my best friend was like... Well, future best friend went, I like Sailor Moon too. Mm -hmm. And it is cool because, you know, retroactively it feels super dorky that like Gundam Wing and Trigun and Cowboy Bebop were like what I was about and I put my entire being on that. But it did bring me my best friend in the whole world. And as your Mortified podcast says, uh, fandom kind of brought us to each other too.
1: Right. That's the thing is like all that's changed between 14 and now is – I'm better at listening to people now, but I'm still an incurable dork who will rave on and on about the things they love. So anyway, here's our show.
0: Hello, everybody. This is she Progressive of Power. My name is Lauren.
1: I'm not trying to talk.
0: (laughs) I know. I'm really sorry. I was, in fact, supposed to give the disclaimer that Eric's voice, uh, due to, like former sickness and I guess mucinex is not doing so hot. But because he looks healthy and I'm so excited to have our guest and like two other people watching us in the other room, I immediately forgot my responsibilities. <laughs> well, thanks
1: for pointing out that I look healthy. I think that's You
0: important. do. You look great today. Thanks. I would never have known had I not heard this majestic growl.
1: Yeah, I just did an interview, a press interview for my job, too, so I'm really on a roll today.
0: Well, and now our guest gets to just think this is what you sound like. I
1: know. <laughs> They'll never know.
0: Uh, I will, I will, I guess, just introduce our friend right away. I see them trying not to laugh, and until <laughs> I don't want them to, like, accidentally reveal themselves, so we might as well just crack that egg right open. Uh, we have been very interested, thanks to a fan suggestion in getting some teenage perspective on She-Ra, uh, the show, what it means to uh, younger fans, because we talk so much about how She-Ra is really not for us <laughs> in terms of target audience. We might be a little old for it. And so we really wanted to get some people in here for whom she was made. My friend Ryan Bond uh, is a mentor, and one of his mentees is our new friend Emily S. Emily uh, does animation and art on YouTube under the username Karsadi, and they have a lot of cool fandom opinions. So hello, Emily. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for coming on to our show. It's so great to meet you.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: Um. We have Emily's brother watching us today, as well as my partner, Alex. Lots of cool purple haired folks. Yay. Hi, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, thanks for being open to basically hanging out in Chicago with strangers. I'm, I'm glad your parents are so cool. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I thought about that after we booked this of like, we just invited, uh, how old are you, Emily? 17? I'm 17, yeah. We just invited a 17-year-old to an office building in an industrial district in Lincoln Park.
0: Like a relatively <laughs> empty at this hour industrial building. Uh-huh. And everyone was just like, yeah, sounds great.
1: Yeah, great.
0: <laughs>
2: well, I mean, either way,
0: it was either going to be my mom or someone in my family
2: with me, so.
0: Yeah, I'm glad we got the big studio today because we have guests. So Emily, um, first of all, how um, familiar were you with She-Ra before today? And what are some of your other favorite fandoms? Uh, (laughs) My familiarity with She-Ra is extremely recent. I,
2: Eric, I told uh, earlier before the podcast started that I straight up binged the She-Ra Netflix remake in three days. Wow. So I'm completely caught up. And I, can I just say that a
0: show has never made me cry <laughs>
2: oh. as many times as
0: She-Ra has. So. I just cried watching Be Silent again today, so oh. I feel you. <laughs> um, what do you like about it or what resonates with you? Uh,
2: I think what resonates the most is that um, the princess uh, glimmer. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess up to this point, she's now a queen. Uh, she kind of didn't have a father figure for most of her life. I can relate to that. And uh, just having the part where she ends up losing her mom to, like, having having to get the She-Ra sword, that scared me because I don't know what I would do without my mom. And... Honestly, I I can understand her frustrations as queen with, like, now not both her parents. And then this, this episode where it's like,
0: oh, man. Oh, man. The dad's <laughs> not dead. What are we <laughs> Then we brought you in for a very relevant episode, I guess.
1: I yeah. have to tell you, Emily, that Lauren's favorite character is Angela. So yeah. <laughs> a lot of feelings about her passing here.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, we have kind of revealed already what episode we're talking about today. This is Beast Island, and Beast Island is a huge plot episode. Um, We open with Bo, Adora, and Swiftwind still on Mara's ship, looking to get to Beast Island in hopes of finding Entrapta. When they get there, uh, Entrapta's not the first person to find. Surprise! Surprise! Micah, the king who we thought was dead and who the plot has told us is long gone, is actually alive. The Horde exiled him there.
1: Proving Lauren right again.
0: Yes, my biggest prediction like of the whole show that he was still around. I'm so pumped. Uh, mixed feelings on like how his character actually is, and we'll get to that, but yes... Hooray for me. (laughs) Um, Some other plot lines that are going on, we do spend some time with Queen Glimmer. She goes in search of Light Hope. So while the first group goes and does their plan sort of in defiance of Glimmer, Glimmer decides she's going to go off alone and try to get from Light Hope information on how to activate the Heart of Etheria and use the magic of her people, regardless of whether or not anyone else wants her to. And those are kind of the main two plots. We do find Entrapta at the very end, but she's not a huge presence in this episode. And the Horde is not a huge presence in this episode either. The big bad appears to be, at least for this one-off, the island itself. Would you agree with that, Eric?
1: I do agree with that, Lauren.
0: (laughs) Great. I don't normally do uh, the recaps, so I'm having a lot of anxiety right now. Hey, Lauren. Yeah. Great job. Thanks! (laughs) Moral support. Yeah. Yes, we're a very supportive show. So uh, let's just kind of start the talk. What were some of the parts of this episode that really struck us, that we had strong feelings about? Emily.
2: Uh. <laughs> um, obviously, I said uh, before, the fact that uh, Glibber's dad is not dead. Yes. And then his whole demeanor towards uh, Bo and Adora and, and, and <laughs> Swift
0: Wind. <laughs> so, okay, let's talk about Micah. Let's start there. Yeah. Um, Micah running around doing his full, like, uh, exile Desert Island He's survivor gone. thing. No shirt. Uh, What I noticed about him this time that I didn't the last time I watched this episode was what his magic physically looked like. So when we see him doing magic in flashbacks, when Shadow Weaver's teaching Glimmer, the runes are like very specific. You know, they're ornate and they're drawn. Lots of images and geometry. And in in this case, Mike is just throwing circles. Um, It reminded me almost of like, again, another Star Wars reference, Kylo Ren's lightsaber. And how it's sort of jaggedy around the edges because he made it on its own and it's sort of wild and crappy. That's, I think, what's happened to Micah's magic, too. He's just using sort of raw power instead of very articulated spells. And that is cool. And I wonder how Shadow Weaver would feel about that if they end up meeting again. I'm guessing she would be extremely disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, maybe. Or impressed, you know, impressed that he's still able to do so much. Without the structure. But yeah, I could see disappointed too. It could go either way. (laughs) There's a lot of questions raised by Micah coming back about what will happen in the future. And these aren't spoilers because none of this stuff gets resolved. But who's going to be blamed for his exile, for Angela's death, for the fact that Glimmer ended up all alone, at least temporarily? If he comes back, would he want to be king? Would he even want Glimmer to know he was alive in the first place? Would he stay hidden? And would they want to go back and get Angela? What do you guys think?
2: Well, I mean, first I want to kind of just wonder, did Shadow Weaver know about
0: Micah's exile? Good question. That's
1: an excellent question.
0: Oh, gosh.
1: I have to feel like probably not because Shadow Weaver seems obsessed with Micah, but who knows?
0: I feel like, yeah, I feel like Hordak would keep that from her almost as like a, I mean, not even a form of punishment because she couldn't know about it to be hurt by it, right? Mm-hmm. But she certain, he certainly wouldn't want her to know. Mm-hmm. I think that would be a way she could get power and a way she could try to overthrow him. I don't think Hordak would let those two find each other. Or maybe it was earlier. Like, we don't really know the timeline. I mean, guessing on the flashbacks um, that happened
2: in a previous episode where Shadow Weaver is, like, banished while Micah is still uh, younger. And then later, when Micah's older, he has, like, uh, his wife's pregnant and everything, I'm guessing. Uh, And then he's, like, banished Shadow Weaver would most likely kind of just be in charge of everything considering how much power that Hordak is giving her. So there would be no reason for him to hold that from her.
1: And like, what a twist of the knife if if Shadow Weaver's new protege Glimmer learns that her teacher was keeping this from her.
0: Yeah, if Shadow Weaver knew it all along. Oh, no. Oh, This no. is blowing my mind right now. I hadn't even thought about <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, me
1: either. That's a delicious nugget for season five. I want to think about that some more. That's great.
0: Uh, so I guess speaking of uh, Micah, I've, I like their react mixed reactions to him. He's out there eating bugs, and uh, Adora thinks he's really cool, whereas Bo is, is pretty grossed out. I, I like that we oftentimes frame Bo as the like cleaner, more straight-laced character, and Adora gets to be a little just nastier. Normally, um, gender roles-wise, I think they would have switched that, and Adora being allowed to be like the dirtier, grittier one is just something I appreciate. Yeah, that's
2: a really good touch. Also, can I just say, Micah's gone completely feral.
0: (laughs) Yeah, what is his, like, bug staff? (laughs) There are things about his character design that I don't think they're ever going to explain. They're just going to leave it to, like, that's what happens on Beast Island. But the sort of um, uh, Entrapta, too, she's got this, like, bug chitin thing going on. They're all using the same resources, clearly. I'm guessing some, because, like, they're all sort of
2: connected in a way. So I'm guessing that maybe if they bring items towards Beast Island, it can kind of, like, change into more of a
0: natural-looking
2: bug-ish?
0: Yeah, we see the technology sort of getting grown over by the wildlife there. I also literally wondered, I mean, not to get gross, but if it's just, like, literally the carcasses of dead things. Well, what
1: about in Whiteout, uh, where the first one's tech is, like, Robot bugs.
0: Oh, yeah. Like
1: maybe this is just a thing that we've all missed so far. Is it's that just like... their
0: aesthetic. Yeah. That's fair because over where Light Hope is, Glimmer is getting the spiders sent at her as well. Right, exactly. That's a really solid observation. That is just what their tech looks like, I guess.
1: Yeah, also, just a side note, Glimmer, uh, not at all phased by those spiders. That was <laughs> badass.
0: No, yeah, Glimmer Glimmer's a real badass in this episode, and I... I'm so much more attached to her now that we had that conversation with Shane uh, about how much Glimmer means to some of the team members over at DreamWorks. Um, Glimmer makes a really solid case for the magic of Ethereum belonging to her people, perhaps giving her more of a literal sort of native right to it, more than an Adora, for example, and she does indeed show how powerful she has gotten by just thrashing all of those spiders.
1: Totally. Although, also, light hope really works her like forked tongue on her.
0: Yeah, that's a really a really scary scene to me. Also, I put a star next to light hope can apparently be negotiated with because Glimmer is not supposed to have access and gains it basically through force of will. And if light hope is willing to say. You know what? You're a temporary administrator. What else could we talk Light Hope into? And maybe could we bring her back around to the side of good?
1: No way, man. I,
0: no way, man. I've, okay. I've actually noticed that Light Hope, Light
2: Hope seems to be like switching between the personality she wants to be and the personality that's been kind of programmed into her. Mm. And that's something that kind of like shook me. Because um, also in another previous episode where. Um, Light Hope and uh, Adora were, like, Light Hope got reset and they, she, they saw a memory with uh, Mara and, and Light Hope, Mara brought her flowers and then at the end of the episode, Light Hope is like, we gotta erase this, this isn't, she's a traitor, but Light Hope was, Light Hope didn't want to. It looked like she didn't want to.
0: At least that's how I kind of felt. Yeah, I feel like um, that version of Light Hope wouldn't want to. And we've had a lot of questions on our show about who is in control of Light Hope and how much autonomy Light Hope gets. But Light Hope and Mara is one of my favorite ships on the show, <laughs> I'd say. And so anytime you try to like add a little bit of extra depth or empathy to Light Hope, I'm like, yeah, good theory.
1: <laughs> Lauren, did you notice that Light Hope and Mara are a ship, but also have a ship.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got to get at least one ship joke, one ship joke per episode. I'm glad we've met our quota. And I'm glad it wasn't a Seahawk one this time. (laughs) Thank God. Yeah, that really was
1: just a repeat of your joke from last week. (laughs) That's all right. There's always new listeners.
0: Uh, so I guess, I mean, if we want to go there, Emily, do you have any favorite Shira ra ships? Oh, God. <laughs> um.
2: So I personally love uh, Scorpia and Catra. Aw. But I'm also kind of just really upset with Katra because <laughs> the Horde is obviously toxic. And that's making her toxic. And she isn't, I don't... I like to think that she's not the type of person that would want to be toxic, but it just seems like the thing that they're doing, and it's like, no, you're baby. You can't do that. <laughs> you are baby.
1: <laughs> it would take a pretty extreme circumstance for Catra to get a redemption arc, I think. But no spoilers, but I think the show might be setting up for that. Maybe. <laughs>
0: God, I want a redemption arc for her. I'm just impressed. I put Katra in the same trash bin that I put Kylo Ren in, which is like, <laughs> yes, I want to see the redemption arc, but they committed such atrocities that I just don't know how they could get like happily incorporated back into the group, yeah. you know? Like I think I think there's gonna be Catradora, I think Catra's gonna get redeemed and then Catra in some way or another is toast. Because I don't know how you're like, Oh yeah, this genocidal earth ruiner. It's just water under the bridge. Who like
1: tried to undo reality? Yeah,
0: how do you come? I just don't think storytelling is going to fully allow her to come back from that. But I do think they'll they'll go redemption.
1: I realize we haven't talked about Rise of Skywalker yet, and I think you'll probably be with me in that. The thing I most hated about the movie because I actually kind of liked it, I hated the kiss, but it was so late in the movie I was like, I guess. And then then when he died immediately after, I'm like, okay. Have you ever seen
0: that YouTube series pitch meeting? It's just uh, one guy playing the same character and it's like the guy at the movie studio who can give the green light for movies and then the guy trying to pitch him a movie. And it's basically like another version of Cinema Sins or just, you know, everything wrong with. And the Rise of Skywalker one, he's like, yeah. And then Rey's going to kiss him and bring him back to life. (laughs) Okay. And then then she's going to kiss him and bring him back to life. No. Oh, that's quite savage. Like, they just leave him dead. Because you can just, once you open that can of worms, you could have just had a scene of them passing life force back and forth forever. Yeah. She just left him there. No, I
1: I actually, like, I was talking to past guest Tom Foss about this. In a weird way, I do think that makes it somewhat palatable. Like, if they had ended up in a romance together, I'd have been like, no, 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 no. But the fact that it's, like, the last thing he does before he's forever dead, I'm like... Yeah, maybe.
0: That's what I'm saying. And that's what, unfortunately, that's what Catradora is going to have to be for me. Um, I know. Well, (laughs) And the initial point I was going to make was that the fandom ascribes so much protection and warmth and, like, innocence to both of those characters that I'm just not able to see. And frankly, I do think it has something to do with the generational gap. I think for whatever reason, younger people are just maybe less jaded than I am about the state of the world and have more hope about it and can bring, like, more optimism to these characters coming back around.
1: Do you know where we can find a young person to ask them? No.
0: Oh.
1: Oh. (laughs) Rude, first of all.
0: No, I'm just. Uh, I don't. I don't want to tokenize our friend here, but please tell us more about your feelings about Katra because I really would love to know, like, your perspective on what would be a fair and um, believable way to bring that character to the good side. Well, I mean,
2: this these the last season has just been Katra and Adora just fighting each other. And it's like, you were, you were friends. This, what happened? And it's like, Catra doesn't want to leave the horde because that's what she grew up with. That's understandable. That's everything she's kind of known. But Adora just left for some strangers that ended up to be, I guessing her, her new best friends that, that kind of just happened in like a span of half a day. (laughs) So it's understandable for Catra to be upset at Adora because, they've shared their entire lives together up until that point. And, I mean, I just feel like it's, there's nothing wrong with Catra trying to be like, you did
0: this to me, I'm going to do something bad. <laughs> what, what do you think Catra would have to do, or what do you think Adora would have to do at this point to fix some of that really, really deep scarring? I don't think it would there's no way
2: of fixing the scarring, but I do believe that there's a way that it could get at least somewhat better. Um in another episode where um Katra had just not Catra, um Adora and Katra had got to uh the tower that has like Light Hope in it and they're going through all their memories and, and all the simulations. I believe that would be Sort of a way, a way they could have made up or something. Um, it's kind of hard to to say specifically because there, Katra has a lot of anger and hate sort of like built up in her, while Adora is more open to being to like forgiveness and all that. So, I think it would have to get to a point where Katra just doesn't know what she's fighting for anymore,
0: and just is like, "All right, whatever, I give up." I do think she's pretty close to that point, especially yeah. after the episode we just saw before this one where they're winning and she's just collapsed on the ground.
1: Let, let me posit this, this and this is based purely on conjecture and on a small sample size, but I, I, I wonder if the, the difference between accepting redemption or like wanting redemption and not wanting it is the difference between do you put more faith and more stock in personal collect- connections Or in, like, I guess, for lack of a better term, like, political connections? Like, do you think that one person as an individual can overcome past badness and, like, deserve that chance? Or do you think that, like, once you've made your choice, like, you fucked the world so badly that, like, well, sorry, like, that you had your chance? I know you think that second one, but I feel like...
0: Eric's pointing at me. uh, Yeah, you are
1: (laughs) and think that second one. And I wonder if maybe just the younger generation is more hopeful that people can change no matter what their heinous deeds are. And I hope that's true.
0: I do want to give a caveat, and that is, if it's just interpersonal, like deep interpersonal hurt or even interpersonal abuse, I do think that people have the capacity to change and need the space for that. I just don't think any individual person or group is responsible for welcoming that person Mm, back. Like if you've hurt someone so badly that they can't forgive you, you still deserve a place in society and you deserve love, but maybe it's not with the person you damaged. However, you're right. When it comes to like genocide, forget it, Kylo Ren.
1: <laughs> you're like, Catra tried to undo reality. I don't need her back I'm not in my talking life. to her
0: anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm blocking her on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing I thought of, and um, I'd be interested in hearing maybe more of Emily's perspective on this. The horde is a lot like, I mean, not not a healthy school environment, but a school environment right down to like the lockers that they have. Those are the people they have to see every day. They go through training with those people every day, and the horde doesn't have a choice but to be with and bond with the other individuals in the horde. They're structured and that's it. And that's a lot like high school or, you know, in, <coughs> in some cases college, but definitely more like at least my high school experience. Now that I'm in my 30s, I see my world as like there's just infinite groups of people. Like if this job isn't working out, if this social group isn't working out, I can just go somewhere else. But the horde and kids in high school don't have the option to go somewhere else really they can't. And I feel like maybe the alignment and the feeling of what you're allowed to do, like what your options are in that situation, is probably very different than mine. And so, for example, you're almost done with high school, correct? Yeah. Have you had any experiences where you would have preferred to get away from a, a situation or a person, but you, like, had to fix it because there wasn't any other option? I definitely – I.
2: Because um, I remember my freshman year of high school. Um, I think it was it was the first couple of weeks I was sitting down to eat lunch, and this person who was across the room from me had taken a picture of me with the caption, Emo Bitch. Oh. And uh, the person next to me uh, showed it to me, and I'm sitting here like, who the fuck? <laughs> and um, it had upset me to the point where I went to the dean and was like, hey, I would prefer not to be called an emo bitch.
0: I would like to live my life without this external influence coming toward me. (laughs) Thank you. Um,
2: And the person who sent that uh, got probation. Uh, They couldn't go to uh, any of the school events. They were just stuck there for, like, the rest of the uh, semester. And I think... To this day, they still kind of hate me, even though I've tried multiple times over the last three years to, like, make amends, say, hey, I'm sorry that it turned out that way, but I just didn't feel comfortable with you calling me that.
0: So I would have preferred not to be in that situation at all. Right, so I guess no matter what side of that you're on, you had to still live with it. Like, you weren't able to be like, well, I guess I'll just go to a different school. That's just what your given circumstances are every morning after that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, it was, I'm far removed from it now. I was extremely bullied in middle school and high school, and my heart really feels for that. I wish people were not so flippant and mean to one another, and I'm sorry that that happened to you. But I also hope, you know, you can go into the future... With a em- empathy and conflict resolution skills from it, but also knowing that once you get out of high school, <laughs> you can go wherever you want.
1: One, well, are you ready for this, Lauren? Yeah, I think you're speaking to kind of the very reason that He Man and by extension, She Ra exists because all those crusty old men in that <laughs> Toys That <and> Made Us documentary <laughs> all they talked about was how He Man was meant to be a power fantasy for boys who felt like they didn't have any. And hearing you talk, I'm realizing the difference between you and I and younger people is someone pisses us off. We can be like, fuck you. I don't want you in my life. And it's really <laughs> that easy almost all the time, especially because if someone did that at work, they'd probably get fired. Yeah. Um, but younger people don't have that freedom. I always think in my life, like the best freedom is the freedom to leave the freedom to just be somewhere or to not be somewhere I don't want to be. And so I think that like maybe this show is so potent because it, she, it provides for younger women and, and non-binary people what He-Man did in 1983 for young boys, which is this sense of like, you know, even if things suck, like you do have the power, but you also have the honor.
0: <laughs> yeah. She-Ra shows us that in this episode. She-Ra learns that the reason she couldn't transform had nothing to do with the island, but it was in herself. And it wasn't just the power of herself blocking her own sort of confidence, but also the things Glimmer said to her and the power of her friend's feelings about her and Angela's feelings about her and the things that other people say to you can affect you that deeply. It can you know, affect your performance, whether that's, I can't concentrate on my test today or I can't be a world-saving hero today.
1: Yeah, Adora's living with this idea that everything she, like, she always ruins things. And that's like... I mean, even as an adult, I have that thought like probably too often. It's like everything I do sucks and I'm bad at everything. So I relate to that.
0: I wish I could say I've grown out of it, but I haven't. The like, wow, another bad choice I made.
1: Dope. (laughs) I also want to say the whole Beast Island, like being a a place that uh, kind of amplifies your self-doubt, it feels like a very D&D style scenario. Of like this is the haunted forest where your worst fears manifest, <laughs> you know. Make a constitution roll or succumb to the ground.
0: It's cheesy, but it's completely relatable because who?
1: Oh yeah, I'm not saying I don't like it. I just yeah, I just I mean like, like
0: everyone watching this episode, I think, can immediately imagine like if I were on that island, what are the things that I would be hearing?
1: Mm-hmm. And I think it also leads to a very powerful transformation sequence, yes. which is cool. <laughs>
2: Not on my- side.
0: So we do meet Trapta speaking of the center of the island, and apparently she went there with abandon, despite Micah telling her not to. Uh, there's a signal coming from the center of the island, and uh, Entrapta... No, I'm going to backtrack for a second. I want to talk about Micah once more, because there's something that I thought was going to happen in this episode and didn't, and I thought there was going to be a twist that Micah had already been lost like Micah had gone to the center of the island, went and was like crippled by this madness, and was now evil, you know? And there was a couple of things he said that was like, you know, it dulls your resolve, it exposes your vulnerabilities, and I just thought he was trying to say, and that has already happened to me, and I'm a terrifying broken puppet. And what a like awful... (laughs) Thing that would have been. I'm glad we didn't do that, but it does mean now we're going to have to answer all those other questions I had earlier because he is, I guess, going to get to come back to Bright Moon. I also wondered if Entrapta was going to be evil. I was just waiting for this island to have corrupted one of our characters for good. I'm glad
2: Entrapta is, is safe. She was,
0: she's actually one of my other favorite characters.
2: I just really like this show. Uh, <laughs> um, And, like, Entrapta is one of those characters I can relate to the most because I spend almost all of my time cooped up somewhere on a computer and I don't eat a lot, so I'm most likely going to eat (laughs) tiny food. (laughs) And I just drink a lot of soda, so I'm just, I can relate to her a lot. So I'm just glad she's okay.
0: What are um, some of the maybe thoughts you have about the characters we didn't see this episode? Because I do want to cash in on this opportunity to hear more of your opinions, but like, Mermista wasn't in this one, uh, Perfuma wasn't in this one, etc.
2: Well, Marmista and Perfuma, I believe, are kind of just like, chilling in the background. They're kind of like, helping Glimmer prepare like, off in the scenes that are not shown. <laughs> I like to believe that there's this whole, like, just stage. And then, like, Glimmer's doing her thing on the stage. And then everyone else is kind of just, like, talking to each other. Um, but I do think that everyone else is kind of just trying to get in on what Glimmer's planning to do. And Glimmer's plan... She was told but the
0: world was going to explode. <laughs> and she was like, "Now nah, we're going to do this anyways. Let's go. Let's come on. I relate to that. I mean, not, not the like world exploding part, <laughs> but there are definitely instances where I feel like I've been told something can't be done or something's a bad idea. And I'm arrogant enough to be like, well, right, but I haven't tried it before. Well, doesn't
1: that make you want to do it more?
0: Let me see for myself. Let me see if this world's going to explode. Yeah, like what if I pull the lever though?
1: <laughs> I think there's an undertone of this conversation, Lauren, that you and I do not like limits and we do not like people giving us boundaries.
0: We're going to start our own podcast. is yeah. <laughs> it this your guys' own podcast? Yes. <laughs> this is the product of our hubris. Welcome.
1: <laughs> we were right. It just took a year.
0: Um, Is there anything else about this episode that we want to get into?
1: Yeah, I, so I brought a political discussion question this time. I know, I know. Okay.
0: So I do want to say, but just to interject, our guest is going to be 18 this year and has uh, registered to vote and has a plan to go vote with a bunch of friends. So thank you for doing that and for being a rad American.
1: Yeah, that's Uh, so cool.
0: Pokemon Go to the polls. <laughs>
1: oh, man.
0: Oh, bring your Squirtle squad. I remember that. I remember that. Hey, I'll,
2: I'll probably show up to uh, polls in a full, like, Team Skull cosplay <laughs> and just be like, give me your Pokemon or else, or, like, something <laughs> like that. I don't know. If that Go gets people to I'm vote, taking your Pokemon. fine. Good. Whatever it yeah. takes. I'm hacking into your Pokemon Go account, and I'm going to steal all of them. <laughs> What
0: uh, Pokemon Go team are you? Valor. Ah, instinct, though. Anyway, sorry, Eric. Go ahead.
1: Okay. No, you're fine. Talking Pokemon <laughs> with my friend. Wait, let me. <laughs> so I noticed something this episode. Yes, please. The language that Light Hope keeps using to weaponize Etheria is that they're going to balance it.
0: Uh, yep.
1: In the same way that... In Star Wars, again, Star Wars, Wars. we keep hearing that Anakin's going to bring balance to the Force, which he literally does by killing all but two light Jedi. He
0: takes credit for it. In this new movie, you hear his voice say, bring balance to the Force as I did. And I'm like, Anakin, it might not be your moment right now.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, at least he knows. He's being (laughs) real. And what what I want to talk about is... I, I've been thinking a lot lately about this issue of balance, Fox News, Fair and Balanced, and about this issue of moderation. I've become aware of the fact through watching my some of my college friends have Facebook accounts that there's a lot of people in my estimation that think that moderation, that choose to be, quote, moderate because it feels like an interesting aesthetic choice. It lets you, like, take a step back and say – I am above the right and the left and all of this squabbling. Like I seek a true moderate path in the middle and I'm just like this very logical kind of like I don't need to get involved in the fray and here's what you should really do. And I hate it. (laughs) I hate it. I was talking with past guest Jacob about it and he mentioned that the problem with moderation is that it's always framed by – the, um, that the definition of moderation is always set by the person who frames the debate. And so people think that moderation is choosing between Democrats and Republicans. But in fact, those aren't equal and opposite polls. Like we have, on the one hand, like vaguely liberal Democrats, and on the other hand, like fascists. Those aren't equal polls.
0: Right. I, so, I th- I've been talking a lot about how I think – current political rhetoric has pulled the middle to the right. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Right. Well,
1: yeah. And I, I mean, I, what my question is, is like, what do you think about that? Because I think this idea of like balance and moderation is a trap because why is the middle the right choice? It's people equate it with compromise, but it's not compromise anymore because our choices aren't equal uh, and go. We'll,
0: OK, <laughs> I'll start. I think you're spot on especially in like recent years. I think the idea of moderation being healthy is kind of an outdated idea and more so than outdated maybe was never a good idea to begin with because growing up, you know, what political conversations were really out there um, there. We weren't seeing Nazis rising up and walking in the streets. We weren't dealing with climate change. We weren't dealing with... I mean, there was always always racism. There was always sexism. But I always had this feeling up until, frankly, the Trump presidency, that as a whole, like, the trend of history was going to move in the right direction. Yeah. So we didn't have to worry about it so much. Yeah. Now, though, literal Nazis, uh, massive extinction event happening. It doesn't feel like, to me anyway, we have the time... To try and make sure like everyone feels good about this middle compromise before we can move forward. Well,
1: and I think that's a great point because if you look at like an election between Clinton and Dole, I don't have their policies in front of me, but I think what you're saying is that there is more of a middle ground between them, where one of them's like, you know, let's lower taxes, and the other's like, let's raise taxes, but maybe in like almost equal proportions, you know. But now we're talking about like let's let's lock up children in cages versus let's not.
0: What? Yeah. Uh, It's the idea of let's lower taxes or let's raise taxes, but they both want to do it to fund education or to fund infrastructure. And now, you know, what it feels like we're talking about as a country is well, can we kick out people of color from the country? Is Mm -hmm. it okay for certain populations to get married? Is it fine if some people literally just die? And I don't really want to find the middle ground between, quote, the radical right, which will see people I love and care about having their rights taken away and maybe their lives ended, and the radical left in which none of those things happen. Mm -hmm. Like halfway between those two things is still not a place I'm comfortable being.
1: Right. (laughs) <laughs> so I guess my moral for this episode is that if someone wants you to adopt a balanced attitude, be suspicious because you're probably activating a planet-destroying weapon. And Light
0: Hope is fishy as heck. They're not <laughs> subtle about it. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's not uh, activate this planet-destroying
2: weapon, please.
1: Okay, but <laughs> counterpoint. Let's.
2: Know. <laughs> and
1: then the middle ground is 50, maybe later. Yeah. <laughs> maybe.
0: I want to bring up <laughs> one more point before we go, and it is a little bit political, but it's something that I don't think should be political in the future that I want to live in. This is not a political issue whatsoever. The last moment of this episode, season Trappeda, saying, "Princesses, I found you." And does that mean Entrapta sees like Bo as a princess, or Micah as a princess, or even Swiftwind? I've entertained the idea that Bo is like Loki, a princess before. <laughs> He's
2: the archery princess, and
0: it's yeah. Well, and the heart on his chest yeah. does occasionally, at least in the art, like light up. I'm even a big fan of the like Bo is trans theory, but uh, I think Entrapta literally thinks they're all, sees them all as princesses. Like in her eyes, they all meet these qualifications. I, honestly really love that
2: because she doesn't see kind of like she doesn't really see the the whole like hierarchy of the princesses everyone's just a princess in her
0: (laughs) i want to give a shout out to local photographer kitty wolf who in fact uh i was doing some googling before the show because this reminded me of something uh there's a photography project that kitty wolf did called uh Boys Can Be Princesses too, and I believe the website is just boyscanbeprincesses2.com, and it is really nice photos of young boys or male-identifying children dressed up as Disney princesses and sort of embracing the idea that if those are the characters they love and uh, young male-presenting kiddos want to be dressed in dresses and makeup and heels, like, ain't nothing wrong with it. Go out and get it. And so check out those photos. Um, someone from, someone from sh- the Chicago area was a part of that project. Can
2: I also say I
0: love Bo's gay dads? Yes.
2: When, that, when I saw that episode, I'm sitting here like, oh, his, his dad's coming? Okay. And then there was two.
0: And I'm like, oh, yes. This is what I live for. Just like a healthy, nourishing pair, guys. Love them so much. Yes.
1: Before we go, Emily, is there anything else you want our listeners to know about She Ra or about you? Um,
2: she was a great show. I believe that everyone should watch it because it's like, it's, it has such a very positive theme to it. It reminds me a lot of uh, My Little Pony. Yep. Which I was a really big fan of that for a
0: very long time. Who's your favorite pony? Uh, Derpy. Great, Miss Cheerily. let's carry on.
1: <laughs> I don't um, know what just happened, but it feels like you disagreed with that choice.
2: <laughs> um, and it just kind of just has this overall positive feel to it. Again, uh, Catra, leave the horde. It's, cha- it's chaotic and, and, and bad, please. I love you.
0: Follow Scorpia. Mm. Follow Scorpia. Scorpia's just baby. She doesn't know what to do. She is baby. Uh, I'm I'm not baby. I'm asshole. (laughs) Emily, is there a place on the internet you would like our listeners to go to see any of your work?
2: I am uh, Karsadi on almost everything. Uh, YouTube, Twitter, Tumblr. And my Twitter and Tumblr are mainly just
0: shitposts. Uh, <laughs> as as one should have, yes. Uh, please spell that for us: C A R S A A D I. Awesome! It's been so great having you.
2: It's been it's been wonderful being here. Like, y'all are wonderful
0: nerds. I love you.
1: Oh, thank we you. Love you too. That's very validating. Thanks so much for being here and sharing uh, your your thoughts and opinions with us.
0: And Eric, I know you you wanted us to ask you, what's your favorite pony?
1: Oh well, it's this one.
0: Thanks for listening to she Progressive of Power. If you like our show, you can rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. We super appreciate it. You can also send in any feedback you have to our email address, progressiveofpower at gmail.com, or to our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash progressiveofpower.